We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. (laughs) It is now 8.06 here at WCCO. Welcome back. I'm excited to talk about telehealth. I know you've heard about it. Many of us have talked about it. Well, Dr. Josh Umber is uh, joining us tonight. He wrote an article in February of 2022. And in this article, there was so much that I circled and underlined because I've been wanting to talk to someone about telehealth. And we are, he is joining us tonight. He is the founder of Atlas MD. Welcome, Dr. Josh Umber. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Good evening. I understand um, that the title of this um, article is, Is Telehealth Here to Stay? Yes, but only if we stick the landing. And I can't wait to uh, hear you talk about that. But tell me why your interest has been in telehealth. Well, I think as doctors, uh, we often limit ourselves to a model that is what insurance will reimburse and not necessarily what is best for the patient. And it's interesting how we've applied technology through the years. At one point, everything we did was by home visit, and we did it by walking to the patient. And so then riding the horse or a road or a car you know, was essentially a better version of uh, making healthcare easier. And then even the telephone came out, and uh, you know, that drastically increased doctors' abilities to reach out to patients, but it was met with resistance from the profession. So we have this kind of long love-hate relationship with technology, um, but ultimately, if it's helping us improve patient care, it's, it's something we should look at adopting. Let's talk about if it helps us or not, because how do you define that? How do you, um, how do you know when it is a success and it is not? I, it's a good question because, it, it, like any tool, it, it could be used incorrectly. But um, we, we wouldn't limit ourselves to the zip code for Amazon shopping or Netflix or YouTube. Why would we necessarily limit ourselves to the zip code of where our doctor is? And I think the pandemic really put that stress test on the system to make us reevaluate what was working and what wasn't. And so especially when you couldn't even you know, leave your house to go to the doctor, we had to adapt. And, and so we're finding that if patients can get care faster, easier, cheaper, well, they're more likely to reach out sooner. They're more likely to get the care they need. So if calling, texting, emailing, video chat helps patients access care sooner and easier, I think that is the evidence we need to show that it's helping. 
You wrote that one of the best lessons we can learn in the value is the value of telehealth. Here's my challenge. My challenge is I feel better when I'm in the the company of a doctor um, that can tell me by, you know, it's like we are sentient people. So we need to feel and look into their eyes and trust them, you know, hearing their voice, knowing that they care. It's a, it's an experience, whereas telehealth is not the experience I wanted uh, initially. So I'm just curious to know if you ever had um, patients say to you, I'm so happy I got to come in and see you, doctor. I do. Um, uh, and I appreciate it as a family doctor. It's, it's everything we want to hear from our patients, that they appreciate the healing experience. Um, and I think that's where telemedicine can be done better or worse. So as a tool, telemedicine with a doctor you may never see again probably has less value. But mm-hmm. telemedicine as an addition to a doctor that you have a consistent relationship with is definitely a much different experience. So when you can you know, email a picture of a rash and get a quick response in the middle of the workday and don't have to take pay time off or schedule or catch a bus or disrupt your life, that's great. But when you need more time to sit down and, and work through you know, depression or anxiety, sometimes in-person is better. Sometimes, mm-hmm. especially for my patients with anxiety, they'll be anxious about the appointment. And they'll, or they'll wake up at 2 a.m. and really want to pour their heart out, and they can do that uninterrupted by email. But it's with a doctor that they know they can go into, or that we've already built that trusting relationship so that they know on the other side of that email is somebody that they've connected with before and, and really does care about them. There used to be a time when we um, learned how to connect with a doctor that we really liked, and we kept hoping, wishing that we would have that same doctor every time, whether it was a cold or where the heart was starting to speed up or no matter what it was, we felt, at least I know I did, felt more comfortable being in the, in the, in the presence of a doctor. And I'm just wondering, what are you hearing from others, specifically seniors, that you say, hey, telehealth is really great telemedicine is really great start looking at this is it hard to convince them of that no because um at least again when done well they know it's an addition to if we have a snow day it's wonderful that we for we can let our patients know don't don't come out in the snow don't risk a car accident or slip and fall and an injury let us call you let us come to you i mean on some levels again telemedicine is home visits that's using technology whether that's zoom or a car to provide care in new ways and they appreciate the fact that great i don't have to uh, uh, go through the snow to get the appointment that i made three weeks ago because i can make another one just as easy for when weather's nice or i can talk to the doctor uh, and not forgo the care but also not have to fight the, the weather so it really is meant to improve that relationship some of those older patients are traveling, or they may not have a car, or they may just not have as much access. So if they can call and talk, then it still you know, gets a lot of care done while streamlining kind of the rest of that process. Will you define well done for me? Uh, I think the patient defines that. Um, you know, sometimes, again, if it's depression, anxiety, often a physical exam is less necessary. And, uh, and sometimes a physical appointment can be more threatening 
to a patient with anxiety. And again, the pandemic stress tested the whole system and made us rethink this. So a patient may be worried that if they come into the office, they're going to get an infection, and so they won't treat their depression. They won't treat their anxiety. But also they have a hard time pouring their thoughts out to a doctor face-to-face and might be more comfortable in a scenario where they're in their home but able to talk to the doctor. So we, we try to find the silver lining for all of that. You wrote before 2020, the use of telehealth had been low, mostly because Benzentine state and federal laws prohibited healthcare providers from delivering virtual care to most patients. Where are we at today? We've come a long ways um, and really kind of overnight. Uh, March 2020, the government with the you know, kind of two weeks to flatten the curve idea and stay home, don't go to work, don't leave your house, uh, almost had to change. Uh, the old HIPAA rules that were vague and kind of outdated for, you know, law written 20 plus years ago, uh, they, the swipe of a pin changed it from those rules to what they call the good faith principle. And then essentially made any technology that doctors were using in the advancement of patient care uh, approved with that asterisk of, we will be watching, but we won't be judging as much as long as your intentions are good. And uh, that allowed us to go overnight to use calling, texting, emailing, Apple, FaceTime, Facebook Messenger, kind of whatever the patient was comfortable with. And I I think a forgotten message in a lot of this is patient technology literacy. Not all patients are able to sign into a complicated portal. Secure is good, but so secure that we we don't end up using it, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So an older patient, my, the first patient who ever got me on Skype was an older woman whose grandchildren got her all set up so that she could communicate with them. So it was just as easy as adding another button to talk to the doctor. But it meant not having to arrange for transport and all these other things. So we, we do have to appreciate making that care easy. Uh, it does make it faster. It makes it cheaper. It, it, it makes it less threatening. So um, it also opens up the time for when a patient does need an hour in the office, something practically unheard of. But if we can handle the pink eye, the, the, the minor COVID, the contagious stuff, keep that at home and away from the office, it does actually help us improve time and, and concentration on the patients who do need our focus uh, face-to-face. Let me share a little story uh, from my experience. I'll never forget, I went into the doctor. I wasn't feeling well, and I kept thinking I must have bronchitis. It felt like bronchitis, which I had had once before. And once I went to the doctor, um, they listened to my chest. They, you know, took my temperature and my pulse and that sort of thing, my oxygen, and said, you're fine. You have bronchitis. We're going to give you this medicine. I said, well, I'd like to have a... um, um, Oh, my goodness. I can't think of the word. Uh, X-ray. Yes, a chest Mm X-ray so that I would know for myself. I could see it on the X-ray. And they kept saying, you don't need an X-ray. You don't need. I said, but I'm demanding one. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'll just stay here and wait until you can do it. And they did. They finally did it and said to me, you had a small heart attack a few years ago. And I've never told anyone that before other than family. And here's what really shocked me. They said to me, oh, my gosh, we're so happy we did the X-ray. They didn't say, we're so grateful that you asked for one. 
You know, sure. they just said, we're so happy sure. that we did that. So knowing that um, technology is ever changing, the things that we would normally require in our own health when we're seeing about ourselves um, can sometimes get lost in new technology, which is ever changing. It can change every day, every hour, every week. And that is difficult for such a large community of patients um, throughout this country. So I'm just wondering, um, how often do you guys see a big change in what's happening? Happening with telemedicine? Well, I, COVID was the biggest recent change for at least a lot of insurance-based doctors. But I think your problem speaks to a bigger problem of not just telemedicine, but how we pay for healthcare. Um, a chest x-ray is $50. It's not really something you need to insure when you know a tank of gas is $30, dollars $50. But then when insurance is paying for stuff, the, he who pays the piper picks the tune. So we have this convoluted system of buying healthcare, where now the patient's really not in charge, and um, and that's unfortunate because it does lead to all these other systems processes where we say no, you can't have that because it's not in your insurance, or we don't know we how if we'll be paid for it, or how will we code for that. Um, and on some level, that's doctor's faults for participating in a broken system. Some way that's insurance's fault. Because if you order a chest x-ray and it comes back normal, they'll say, well, you should have known it was normal, so we're not going to pay you for it. Because we sure don't want to be encouraging you to get x-rays on normal people. So then the doctors are in this, you know, uncomfortable position of, do I make the patient happy and risk losing money? Do I, you know, uh, order the test and risk giving them a big bill if it does come back normal? Um, Because it's more expensive more expensive under an insurance model when it doesn't need to be. So um, it speaks to a larger problem that we also try to fix through different ways, uh, price transparency and direct care, um, because we, we do need patients being able to work as a team with their providers, uh, you know, because everybody's definition of good care is a little, little different. Some people don't want x-rays. Some people do want meds and don't want meds. Uh, Healthcare is is hard to rubber stamp that out for everyone. It's it's very individualistic. It really is, and I know that, you know how the care was delivered really matters to you. And so as you watch and see this, I'm not even sure how the doctors are being paid, but they are. I mean, I've never written out a check on the tele telehealth uh, conference call, and that was just twice. I've only done it twice, and I have to tell you, even though I was able to see my doctor. Um, he had a lot of questions to ask for me, and hearing me breathe and that sort of thing is how he came to his conclusion. Um, and I, I just have to say to you, I'm just not sure if it's enough. Are you hearing from patients that it's enough? Well, I think it depends on what you're using it for. Through COVID, reflexively, a lot of doctors, since they couldn't even get staff or open their practices or have patients come to them, they had to do the best they could over the uh, telemedicine options, Zoom or phone. Um, but again, not ideal. The ideal scenario would be where you get the best of both worlds. We don't have to pick between Target in-store shopping and Amazon shopping. We get to have both of them. We don't have to choose between um, shopping for our groceries ourselves or ordering online. We can choose to see what works best for us at the time. And so telemedicine dictated top down saying this is the only way you can use it, sure, that is definitely flawed. But telemedicine where it's a team approach and you can 
call, text, email your doctor for initial care, for follow-up care, uh, your patients are going to have questions. They say, okay, I know we kind of talked for 15 minutes, but now three days later, my symptoms have changed. Is that a whole new visit? Can I email and, and get a follow-up question? Or I know you told me I should do this, but yeah, I read online something that, you know, that could complement that. So, you know, rarely is a good visit limited to the short amount of time we have in front of patients. Um, and it's, it's not right for everything. You're right. I can't listen to your lungs over the phone. Um, but it can help keep people who have mild symptoms at home so that I can have more at-risk patients come to the office. So it really is, it's, it's you know, a mix. So then telehealth is here to stay, but within a specific um, uh, parentheses around it, um, what you can do with that. And also, I wanted to ask you before you go, um, the nurses. It's really important. When I see my doctor's nurse, I feel comforted. I've been to her several times. I've gotten used to her. She knows the questions to ask me. I know the answers that I need to come there with. How does telehealth affect that relationship between nurse and doctor? I think in an ideal model, it doesn't. Um, the nurses can use all the same benefits of technology that the doctors can. Um, being able to email the nurse for the clinic that you trust is also very helpful. You know, maybe it's a conversation about how we're going to do blood draws or wound care or refills or just, hey, uh, we've known each other a long time. I, I have a question and I don't want to bother the doctor. The doctor is busy. And so the, the hand in glove, these uh, any technology that's helping the doctor care for patients is also going to help the nurses, you know, in, participate in that role and, and add value. It's a remarkable um, understanding that we all need to get, um, and knowing that telehealth has been around for a very long time. I think a lot of us don't realize when the first telemarket, <laughs> I mean, tele. tele um, medicine was even formed when, when someone actually went to your home or, or found a way to do that. But I was reading it in your article, and it's um, the Lancet article from 1879. Uh, do you want to share yeah. anything else about that? I think it's just such a great point um, that uh, throughout time we have this love-hate, love-fear relationship with change and, and technology. And to go back that far and have people questioning whether or not telephones help us. I mean, we're communicating across radio uh, and cellular and smartphones, um, and that's a technology that helps us reach more people. Uh, I don't think we'd ever go back to the Pony Express, uh, but in 1898, when uh, the time it was published, a lot of people were afraid of, of what does a phone visit mean. Um, mm. But it was an addition to, because at least phones with more access than not everyone had a car, phone a phone line, phone service was cheaper than a car. So they could uh, still get some answers easier, cheaper, faster. And for a lot of what we do, that's still important. Um, not everything needs to be a visit, but then when we handle stuff online, uh, then it, it makes the in-person visits last longer, be more focused, et cetera. Uh, so, so funny to, to think what we accept now is, is wonderful phones, uh, didn't immediately get that warm reception, uh, no pun intended. 
<laughs> well, just uh, for me, my understanding with my technology, the iPhone and all of that, is that it breaks down too. And oftentimes if there's a storm or something like that, it can be interference. And so, yes, there are problems all around, whether it's on your phone, on your computer, or if you're in person. So I do understand that, Doctor. And I will keep reading and try to catch up on this as much as I can. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Dr. Ombre. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having us, definitely. All right, that is Dr. Josh Onber, founder of Atlas MD. If you want to hear more about it, do check out his article that was written in February 2022. It's called, Is Telehealth Here to Stay? Yes, but only if we stick the landing. We'll be back. It is now 8.32 here at WCCO. Welcome back. Now, we were just talking about uh, medicine and how this works, this tele medicine or telehealth, however you want to say it, you know, virtual, there's a virtual with health partners and many others. But I have to tell you, um, this whole idea of going virtual and only going online to get everything done. I know it sounds like we should be comfortable with that. And many of you probably are, but we also know that there are some glitches in that, right? There are always glitches when it comes to technology, even though the technology has truly made a difference in our lives. Um, I'm the girl that still purchased, um, uh, and uh, a map <laughs> of the state of each where each of my nieces and nephews live. If there's someone in New York, then I'm going to send them a map of the city that they're in and a map of New York. If I'm if it's someone in Atlanta, I'm going to send them the same thing, whether it's uh, in the city of Atlanta or in the state of Georgia. Give them both those maps because the challenge is if all of those satellites that deal with our our phones and that sort of thing are up there and something happens that knocks them out. Will you be able to get from here to there? Would you be able to sit back and go, oh, I know where I can go. Uh, I know I take this street and this street. We have had um, navigation now for a while and we're used to it, aren't we? It seems so easy to use. Jonathan, do you use your navigation? I have, yes. Right. I have too. But I also think down the the road, down the line, okay, what else do I need to have just in case that doesn't work for me? And those are some of the things we're going to talk about next. Of course, weather is coming up as well. Jonathan, do we take a break right here? Yep. Yes, we do. We'll be back very soon. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.
Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to Steel Talking. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. Of course, in the next um, the next hour, nine o'clock is all about Center Stage, all things arts and entertainment, and we hope you'll stick and and stay and join us for that talk. We've got some great guests, and Rohan Preston is coming back tonight. Also, at the, in the ten o'clock hour, my son Michael Battle and I we do a show called the Mom and Michael Hour, and it is my favorite hour at ten o'clock. So don't go away, don't go to sleep if you don't have to, and uh, we'd love to have you join us tonight. So here's the thing. Um, we were just talking about technology a minute ago, and um, I know that we really believe in it around the world. It's really quite remarkable how much technology we have. And I, I know for a fact that so many of our children uh, and our parents are not prepared. The parents are not as prepared with technology. It's difficult, hard to understand, even hard to use at times. Um, young people want more and more of it, right? They just love the technology, how easy it makes their life, even though they may not remember when they were, you know, 10 years old and how things were. But today, when they're 24 and 25, it's a whole nother world. But there's an article that said, a day without technology, and what would that look like? And this was written on March 18th, 2021 by Jessalyn Madden. And here it goes. Imagine this. You wake up one day in a world without technology. All the computers on the planet just disappeared. First of all, you wake up late because your smartphone alarm no longer exists. Once the initial shock of the situation wore off, you start getting ready for work. Unfortunately, you wouldn't be able to turn on the lights, shower, or brush your teeth. Why? Because power, gas, and water are public utilities run by massive computer systems. Then you would get dressed and go outside to your car. Unless the car was manufactured over three decades ago, it wouldn't start. Most everything in a car today is operated by a controller, Area network, basically an, an onboard computer. So public transportation would be a no-go for the same reason. Even if your car did start, traffic would be a nightmare with all the traffic lights out. You'd finally decide to walk to work. Your day without technology is not off to a good start. So what is life without modern technology like? It says in the article, after several hours of walking, you would get to work you'd e in, where you'd encounter a similar situation. Um, the technologies that, you, that get you through everyday life would be missing. You'd ponder conducting business by postal mail, right? Providing that it's still functioning. But it would likely take too long to get your correspondence where it needed to go. How about this? Lunch would be whatever hasn't spoiled yet. It looks like the whole workday is a wash and getting home is going to be just as hard. Making dinner will be like camping. Now, I know this sounds like doomsday. I'm not trying to sound like that at all. What I do want us to think about, though, no matter if you're 25, 55 or 85, is that we depend on our technology, uh, all of the newfangled things to really just keep getting us through our lives, which is great. We have some great technology around the world. There's great technology. At the same time, if that technology is taken away, even for a day or a week or a month or a year, the bottom line is, are we prepared to be able to deal with that? I'll never forget my sister. Um, the, the lights went out in her home 
and her and her husband and the children were like, what are we supposed to do now? And I'm sure many of you have done this before. The lights go out, you light the candles, and you play great games. You know, this is kind of who we are in Minnesota. Um, and I, I find that so funny when they were asking mom, what, what are we going to do? There's no television. There's no video games. There's nothing. <laughs> you pull out your card, your stack of cards and you play some games and you, you pull out Scrabble that you can just sit on, um, at the table and play or, or all the games that you love, the board games, you know, make sure you have those in your home. What really concerns me is that I don't know if our children will be able to understand how to get out of it, how to um, find their lives again without technology. Now, one thing I do know about my mom, she is so smart and knows so much about how to survive because she was born in those years when times were really tough. And when she will say to us, you know, oh my goodness, mom, you know, the gardens or we've got drought. Remember last year in Minnesota, we had bad drought, man. And, you know, some people worry about that or cry. I remember when it was 2000, uh, what was it called, Jonathan? Y2K? Was it Y2K? I think it was. (laughs) Y2K. Oh, that that, brings me back to college. Oh man, I'll never so forget that because I was the one. I was the one that bought my parents um, these uh, kerosene heaters um, that you could easily hook up in some way, and they would work really well, heating the home and that sort of thing. And my mom kept saying, "Don't buy those things, Gerald, and we don't need those things." And I was like, "But mom, if we don't have this and we don't have that, we gotta have something. We need like a generator. We need this." When she says, "Honey, we don't need that." We don't need that. And why? Because my mom and my stepdad in their lives had ventured forward in times like that. They got out and they knew how to have a garden and to go outside and pick some vegetables, get a an iron pot, pot and put it in a real fireplace with some real wood and you get to bake yourself something or you get to make yourself some eggs and bacon and you survive. They knew how to clean water before we had all of these newfangled things on how to, you know, make water cleaner. So I don't know about you, Jonathan, but I think about this a lot. And maybe I think about it too much, but I'm always trying to find little things that I can do and give to my children and my nieces and nephews that could make a difference if all of a sudden technology went down for an hour, for a day, for a week, or for a year. I have what a do you simp- say to that? I have a simple answer to that. Go. Nope. Nope. I am doomed. I am uh, I'm technologically dependent, and uh, the smartphone, the computers, the, uh, the, the iPods and all this stuff, and no, no. Uh, when, you, when you get to the doors and you have to open the doors at the mall and they open up automatically, you don't have to pull the, the handle <laughs> on the pull door open. Nope. That, just wave your hand in front magically. It just... It just parts for you to go in, or or you the 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 magical rotating doors that uh, once you step into the little circle the cube or the cylinder carousel, yeah, the, the carousel it starts moving. You don't even have to push no more. Nope, nope. I'm done. I'm done. Right. I am. And if uh, too many people are on it, it'll just stop. You're locked in there. That's that's fine. Well, you remember that scene from uh, the Godfather when they shoot one of the guys. 
you know, when, when the Godfather says, I want all of them dead and, and they get stuck in this, like you said, you push it and it keeps going around until you're released. <laughs> but no, they stopped it and they shot someone, you know, I, those were the days when you could actually, or at least the thought of it as those days when you could think, oh yeah, you just walk through the carousel, it'll spin and let you in. But today everything is electronic. Everything's electronic. Yep. You don't hold on to anything. You just keep walking and at your pace. It turns and you get out where you think you should. That's right. What if it stops? Has it ever stopped for you? It hasn't. Thank goodness. Uh, that's when the, the, the boots get to kicking and the claws get to scratching and we make our own way out. Well, I really do agree with this article when they say, frankly, daily life without modern technology would be miserable for so many Americans. I agree. I'm one of them. Just miserable. Yeah. And, and you, you say to yourself, then why aren't we um, in tandem teaching our children how to survive? And there are people who are doing that. You hear about people who have built bunkers filled with you know ammunition and guns and food and water and so much more, right? IKA, they feel like, or IKA, AKA the preppers. Yeah, exactly. Doomsday preppers. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I that's think, real to them. I think there's value in it. I think there are a lot of people that they move away from cities and bigger locations so that they can move out to areas where they they have more access to not just rural life but off the grid life you know camping and uh making sure that they can fish on their own hunt on their own uh i don't think that'll ever go away i think there are families that will continue to do that no matter where they live Mm-hmm. but don't expect me to be one of them. Well, I tell you, there was a question that was asked in this um, this article that I found. What can you do in one day without technology? And it says in 2013, Code.org, a nonprofit organization dedicated to expanding access to computer science in schools, they published a video called What Most Schools Don't Teach. And the video went viral. In it, technology executives Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, NBA player Chris Bosch, Chris Bosch, and musician Will I Am uh, encourage young people to learn how to code. And I remember about five years ago hearing about these schools where sixth graders were really learning to code, especially girls. They were very, very interested in this. And so I just wonder, are we still hearing young people learning how to code? Oh, a yes. Lot of people, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that's a good thing. Whatever we need to do to make this happen, but I'm not quite sure. Let me read this last part. The video equated learning to code with becoming a musician or an athlete. And at the same time, it downplayed the difficulty of learning code, portraying it as simple math. It emphasized the cool factor of tech firms' offices by not just describing them, but also showing them off. It also pointed out the current ubiquity of computers, as well as their importance to modern survival, modern survival. Oh man, we're in trouble. We're going to take a break and we'll be back to wrap this up. It is now 8.56 here at WCCO. We only have about a minute, but I want to share with you the six benefits of unplugging from technology. Number one, reduces stress and anxiety. Unplugging from technology is like a reboot for your brain. Opportunity to focus on appreciation and gratitude. Provides more time for simple pleasures. Reduces feelings of loneliness. Connect with the natural world and allows you to be present. Well said. 
Look, you guys, I'm not against technology by any means. I just want to make sure that if it goes away, I'll be prepared and I'll be able to keep going, keep moving up. That's our hour. We'll be back in a moment with the last, with the next hour center stage. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 